All across America and around the world, this is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. And now, your host for today's program, Dale Throneberry. And welcome to Veterans Radio. My name is Dale Throneberry, and we have got an action-packed program, I guess you could say, today. And we've got Dwight John Zimmerman on, who is a, a military writer who's been on our program many, many times, and Terry Gould. And Terry has got his uh, book out. It's called How Can You Mend This Purple Heart? about his experiences at the U.S. Naval Hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, back in the 1960s. And I want to get right into these interviews because it's a really great stories, great, great stories. Uh, so I want to thank our sponsors today. I want to make sure we thank them all. Uh, that would be Legal Help for Veterans, National Veterans Business Development Council, Charles S. Kettle's VA Medical Center here in Ann Arbor, and the Veteran Lending Council. We also want to make sure we thank our local veteran service organizations. That would be the American Legion Post 46 and the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettle's Chapter 310, all out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. So here we go, right into our interview. Here is Dwight John Zimmerman. So we're talking with Dwight Zimmerman today, and uh, we're talking with Dwight because he's, you know, one of our favorite authors. He has also been a, uh, one of our favorite contributors, for those of you who have been listening to Veterans Radio over the last 19 years. He's still heavily involved with the Military Writers Society of America, but he's off on a new adventure now, and I, I'm not exactly sure how to describe it, but it's, uh, for those, again, that, that follow Dwight, you know, he's been putting out these history lessons on a daily basis to everyone all the time and uh, he's kind of my go-to guy when it comes to history so i'm going to welcome dwight back to the program so dwight zimmerman welcome back to veterans radio dale thank you as always it's great to be on the show i mean uh, and thank you so much for all the, all the kind words you said about me you know i'm, I'm blushing i i know uh, if we <laughs> <laughs> so yes uh uh, this latest uh, effort of mine uh, is on Substack. And what Substack is, it's a new platform specifically designed for writers uh, to, you, know, you create what amounts to a newsletter. And they have various categories, uh, fiction, history, culture, food, uh, you name it. Uh, that uh, depending on what your interest is, uh, you can tap into uh, that those categories. I learned about this through um, you know just trolling on the internet. So what you do is you create this newsletter. You you can post whatever you want on it. It's very easy to do. They have an, a great uh, system for walking through. You go onto the site uh, Substack.com. That's S-U-B. S-T-A-C-K dot com. You get this homepage. On the homepage, they will, you know, you'll scroll down and see all the different categories, what they offer and how to get started. And it's very easy to start, uh, to register and get, get your, uh, self set up. Of course, the whole idea is to set up a system where you get paid subscriptions. You can do free mm-hmm. subscriptions, but, uh, the whole idea is, for you to try and make some money off the, right. the platform. And uh, some uh, apparently some of these people have been quite successful. I just started this uh, last uh, on, I launched it on May 1st. And right now I have uh, 15 posts, which are you know, available for anyone to read right now, because I want to try and build up a following. Right. Uh, right. You know, my uh, Substack site is Dwight John Zimmerman dot Substack. 
com. And uh, point of fact, it's J-O-N, the Scandinavian <laughs> spelling for John. So if you put Dwight J-O-H-N, nothing's going to happen. Well, that's because you're from North Dakota. What do you want, right? <laughs> that's true. So anyway, uh, I wanted to, with uh, these initial uh, posts, give a hint of well, you're you're familiar with my wide wide range of interests and what I've written about. So I did a cross section, you know, covering everything from ancient to present time. I, I thought that you was know. interesting because the article that I received this morning was about the Alaska Highway. Yep, yep, that's the, that's my new one. And I thought that that would be kind of an interesting thing just to to you know introduce our our, our audience to you as I. To let our audience know the type of writing that you do, could you just kind of go over this Trans-Alaska? I, I thought it was fascinating. Just a, a, a really interesting story. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was a lot of fun to uh, you know, write about because, you know, in so many of these cases, I, I either know a little bit about the subject or very little about it. You know, so it's always fascinating for me to find out, you know, the curiosity factor. And this was a thing. It's the start of World War II. Japan has uh, attacked Pearl Harbor, and suddenly, um, at, this was at a time when Alaska was a territory and very remote. Suddenly, we see, uh, you know, the leadership sees Alaska as being very vulnerable to attack by the Japanese, as, of course, they did when they got the, uh, they took over the islands of Attu and Kiska, right. you know, at, at the tail end of the Aleutians. So, the, you know, the emphasis was on trying to create a means of getting troops and supplies up to Alaska as quickly as possible. And the, uh, in working with uh, the Canadian government, the U.S. Army uh, was going to build what amounted to the Alcan Highway that we have today. And, but the engineering challenges were just enormous. This was unexplored territory. It was wilderness. And, you know, so it, not only did they have to map, you know, the route out, but they were facing, you know, extremes of uh, temperature. Uh, in the wintertime, it was minus 70 degrees. They had to, you know, clear cut uh, through uh, wilderness forest. Uh, you're battling permafrost, uh, everything. As uh, General Hoge uh, said he had to completely relearn how to build a road because normally they, you know, in normal circumstances, they would level the ground and then put on the asphalt or whatever, right. you know, the macadam. But in this case, if they, if they'd followed normal procedure, they'd wind up melting the ground because otherwise it had been frozen. And now you're exposing it to the air yeah, you know, and then of course there'd be the trucks and what other vehicles you know, rolling over the uh, the highway, creating heat from friction, and thus collapsing the road. So what they wound up having to do was use the felled trees that they had cut down to lay down a layer, and the trees wound up being acting as insulation between you know the vehicles and the permafrost because. They had to keep the permafrost frozen. <laughs> and uh, the other part, too, is, of course, uh, there are these things called mosquitoes. <laughs> and the, up there, 
we're talking huge clouds of mosquitoes uh, to a point where, you know, they, you know, they'd have the mosquito netting over their heads, you know, and gloves and everything like that. And literally when they just opened up the bottom of the um, uh, netting over their heads you know, in order to drink or to eat, the mosquitoes would just fly in. Uh, and uh, so there was that problem. Uh, and there were just all kinds of challenges that they were facing. And it was just so, I had a lot of fun finding out all, all the difficulties and how they uh, overcame them because they wound up creating the, the highway. Well, I, th- I think the, the thing about the, the story, and this is what, this is what Dwight does so well, is he takes an, you know, a, an unknown historical event that most of us, you know, are not aware of, and you give it life again. And I, that is what I uh, admire so much about your abilities is that this road not only was impossible to build, but they built it in less than a year. And how, yeah. how long is this? How long is that road? That's uh, over a thousand miles. Okay, and I can't even get my street repaired, you know, <laughs> over the last ten years. <laughs> yeah, well, this is the thing where uh, I uh, obviously I love history, and you know I've been given this God-given talent of you know, as a writer, and I just want to make it alive. It's been it's it's always fun to to talk with Dwight John J O N. Zimmerman, and you just look him up. I mean, he has written uh, bestsellers. He co- uh, collaborated with uh, Bill O'Reilly on the book. You uh, also wrote your own on the Medal of Honor. You did comic books. You you have done the, the entire spectrum, I think, of literacy or literary works that are out there. And uh, I just wanted to congratulate you on getting this started. Again, this is on uh, Substack.com, uh, Dwight John, J-O-N, and his on there is between the lines, which is kind of cool. So it's just I got of, stories to tell. I know we're going to have you back on on this whole thing, but let's 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 remind our audience here on Veterans Radio how they can access these stories. So we're go through that process again. How do I find? How do we find you? The URL is Dwight John J O N Zimmerman at dot substack dot com. I want to thank Dwight John Zimmerman for being on Veterans Radio again today. It's good to see you, Dwight. And um, and you, Dale. Always, always. Thanks for being on, and we'll have you back. As this thing, you. As this thing grows and you come upon any stories that you think I'd be interesting, let us know. And I we, will. We will do that. So Thank you, Dale. All right, so we'll be right back after this brief break with our next guest, uh, Terry Gould, and he's going to be talking about his book, uh, How Can You Mend This Purple Heart? The Medal of Honor is the highest award for valor in combat given a member of the Armed Forces of the United States. There have been over 3,400 recipients of the nation's highest award. This is one of them. PFC Sammy Davis is often called the real Forrest Gump. Details after this. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. Davis enlisted in the Army. He volunteered for the artillery because his father had been an artillery man in World War II and then asked to be sent to Vietnam. In November 1967, his unit was helicoptered into Firebase Cudgel. Shortly after midnight, Battery C came under a heavy mortar attack. At the same time, 1,500 Viet Cong launched an intensive ground assault. Davis's squad was operating a 105-millimeter howitzer that fired 18,000 beehive darts in each shell. 
When he saw how close the VC were, he took over a machine gun and provided cover for his crew. Convinced they couldn't survive the attack, he rammed a shell into the gun and fired point-blank into the enemy. A mortar round exploded nearby, knocking Davis to the ground, but he got up and kept firing the howitzer. When he ran out of beehives, he fired a white phosphorus shell, and then the last round he had, a propaganda shell filled with leaflets. He heard yelling from the other side of the river, and despite the fact that he couldn't swim, paddled across on an air mattress. Other GIs followed him. He found three wounded soldiers, gave them morphine, and provided covering fires. Another GI helped one of the wounded across the river. Davis pulled the other two through the water on the air mattress and resumed the fight. Just before dawn, Davis was wounded in the back and buttocks by friendly fire. President Johnson presented him the Medal of Honor on November 19, 1968. Footage of LBJ putting the medal around Davis's neck appeared in the movie Forrest Gump, Tom Hanks's head substituted for Davis's. Gump's fictional citation was loosely based on Davis's real one. The Medal of Honor series is a production of Veterans Radio. Military veterans touch everyone's life. I'm guessing right now you're thinking of a veteran, a close friend, relative, maybe it's you. Even the toughest of us sometimes need help but don't know where to turn for support. You don't need special training to help a veteran in your life. Even small actions can make a world of difference. If you know a veteran in crisis, please call the Veterans Crisis Line, 800-273-8255, 800-273-8255. A message from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. All right, here we are. We're back here on Veterans Radio. And my guest for this program, uh, section of the program is, uh, Terry Gould. Uh, we're gonna go by TL. Make sure you get a TL in there, cause there's another Terry Gould out there. Um, anyway, his book is entitled, How Can You Mend This Purple Heart? And if th- those of you that remember, a couple of weeks ago, we did a, a program with an organization called Operation Song out of Na- uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And, uh, Terry was involved with them. And what they do is they take veteran stories and they, uh, turn them into music and, this is one of the stories that they have turned into music in which we will play a, probably a little bit later on. But let me bring Terry on with me here. Uh, the book is How Can You Mend This Purple Heart? It's sort of a fictional autobiographical story of uh, an adventure, I guess you could say, that uh, Terry had when he was at the uh, Naval Hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So, Terry, welcome back to Veterans Radio. Thank you, Dale. Well, this Thank book, you for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. It really is. I um, I had heard about this book, and I think I actually read it quite a while ago, and I'm glad that we were able to get the connection back again um, because I see you know, that uh, this book was the winner of the Marine Corps Heritage Foundation James Webb Award. Uh, it also won, uh, I think it was a silver medal from the Military Writers Society. And it's... Um, well, I guess I'll let you start the story. So l- let me ask you this. So where did you serve in the military? Um, I joined the – I lived, uh, grew up in Missouri, and um, I joined the Navy in 1968 and uh, spent about three years in, in, in the Navy. Okay. And – but uh, the story is, is how did how did you end up – in the uh, Naval Hospital in Philadelphia. Okay, I went to boot camp at Great Lakes, electronics school at Great Lakes, and I went to radio school in Bainbridge, Maryland. And 
<clears throat> we graduated in May of 1969. And, um, of course, you know, you've got to celebrate your graduation. Right. It was six of us jumped in a car, went out, and um, we partied pretty hard. On the way back, uh, our car, it was about midnight, <clears throat> and our car, um, I was not driving. I was sitting, you know, the shotgun position. Um, we hit a bridge above, but at 65 miles an hour. Ooh, wow. And I was, I went through the windshield and, uh, my legs were trapped under the dash and I was thrown back into the car oh, down man. by the floorboard and the engine, the engine had come all the way back into the front seat and it was, it was on fire. Wow. Jeez. So how did that, obviously you survived that. Yeah. Um, that's, that, that's when I was, um, transported with, uh, three others, uh, two, yeah, three others to the Philadelphia Navy Hospital about 90 miles away. And I spent 15 months there. All right. So this is the basis of the story. So yes. we, we were talking a little bit, uh, you know, off the air about how this book finally came about. You mentioned, and I, I'm not going to, I don't want to give away a whole lot of the story. I want people to buy the book. But I, to me, it's just a, a great, a great story. So you spent, you spent 15 months in the Navy hospital and who were the other people on the ward with you? Well, um, <clears throat> when I gained consciousness about uh, three or four days later, um, I realized uh, where I was and um, these, uh, there was about the ward, um, ward 2B was um, about 35 to 40 um, other guys on the ward with me and they were all from Vietnam and wounded severely. And I got, as we begin to heal and develop relationships, there were not friendships to begin with. I'll tell you that I was, I was the only Navy guy. And of course the Marines and the Navy have, you know, that intermilitary rivalry. Right. Um, and I was also non-combat. So, uh, I had two strikes against me already. Um, but the story then our relationships had developed into friendships and there was uh, six of us. There was, uh, Earl Ray, Ski, Big Al, Bobby Mack, and Moose. And <laughs> Moose was his nickname. And, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, because he, he blew up a moose in um, a, a bison over in Vietnam. They, that They gave him his nickname. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's understandable. Um, so to get back to the, to the story a little bit, so you've spent 15 months there. When you were discharged – you ended up back in – actually, you went back on active duty, didn't you? Yes. I, um, <clears throat> I had a little run-in with the, the hospital brass and early on, um, and they didn't forget it. And they sent me on a – they sent me – found me fit full for full duty and the, the review board. And they put me on an aircraft carrier to Vietnam out of San Diego. And as the night that we pulled out – um, I developed a real bad pain. It happened to be kidney stones. They evacuated me from the ship over and to California, Balboa. And I spent seven months there. They discharged me. And I went back to Philadelphia to the hospital just to see if I could find the guys. And eight months had passed and none of them were, they'd all been discharged to go home. And I, 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 I left Philadelphia, went back to my hometown, and I just forgot the entire thing for 20 years. 
That sounds like something that had been probably percolating in your brain for those 20 years. Yeah, and it, I don't know what started it. Um, the memory started coming back and percolating, and I would share some of those with my brothers. Two of my brothers were in the Navy at the same time I was, and one of them had, been, had spent about a year in Vietnam, and I started telling these stories to, to them and a, a couple of really close friends, and they said, you got to write a book. you got to write this down, and I started. And it took me about 20 years to finish it. <laughs> <laughs> Another 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the emotions were just too broad. I'd write these some of these events, and I just couldn't deal with it. I'd just put it down and leave it for six months. My wife would say, you know, you got to go back to this. You got to you know, go back because we would talk about it. Talk. My wife probably supported me more than anybody in getting this book accomplished, getting it finished. Well, you know, most of us, you know, if it hadn't been for our wives, we would have been long gone. Yeah. You know, the the, the best friendship I had, the most long-term friendship was with Ski. And I, I never did get to connect with him, but I did, you know, we did, a, once the Internet came, it came about, I started doing searches for all these guys. And the only one that had any mention on, it, on a site was Ski. And I got in touch with his combat buddy who was with him the day that he was wounded. And he was in New Jersey where Ski lived. And we corresponded. He got a copy of my book and gave it to Ski's sister that he was um, acquainted with. Ski's sister read the book. And Ski, and this is, um, this is probably about eight years ago. Ski had passed away um, in, at the age of 42. He had had 20 different surgeries after he'd been discharged and, um, he finally succumbed to his wounds. Oh, but his family, his sister sent me a nice letter and sent me skis, um, gold, um, eagle globe and anchor pin, um, for writing the book. Oh, that's cool. That is very cool. I want to, I'm going to read a little section of the book if you don't mind. Um, no, not at all. If I, if I kind of butcher his name, this is when you first met uh, Ski. And okay. it, it says, um, Lance Corporal Felix Dante Jemnitsky. Jim, <laughs> Jemnitsky. Mm -hmm. Wow. Came into my life one night in late May 1969, sometime after midnight. Two Navy corpsmen wheeled his hospital bed into the slot next to mine in Ward 2B, U.S. Navy Hospital, Naval Hospital, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Ski had just undergone surgery to reset the steel rods holding the bottom half of his legs together. Fresh bandages seeped with blood through the shrapnel's wounds of his hips, thighs, and torso. A trinket-sized piece of shrapnel had knocked out his two front teeth. Ski turned to me with a toothless grin and a gleam in his eye, and I knew at that moment our friendship was going to be special. I had come from a party with a girl on my lap. He had come from Vietnam with a bomb under his feet. Yet he never once belittled my circumstances nor spoke a condescending word to me or about me. He would and did defend me against other wounded Marines who questioned my right to even share the same ward space with him. The day the doctors wheeled Ski off to the ward for surgery to amputate his right leg, we shook hands. He smiled that trademark toothless smile, and with the courage only a few possess, he said to me, A Marine is always ready. 
I let go of his hand and covered my face with the bedsheet, not wanting anyone to see the tears I could not stop. We gave each other comfort when we needed, advice when asked for, and an unconditional loyalty to each other that no one dare challenge. Over the course of the next year and a half, Ski and I would share life-changing experiences others can only imagine. Ski was my best friend, a confidant, a drinking buddy, a brother, and the inspiration for me to write, How Can You Mend This Purple Heart? His optimism, humor, courage, and loyalty to his family and friends in the Marine Corps are qualities that still inspire me to this day. I miss him dearly. That part of the book, uh, Terry, is what grabbed me. I, I, can you just, I want to describe this ward to our, to our audience. I don't think people realize, um, you know, this, this ward is all Vietnam veterans, obviously, but most of them are multiple amputees. I mean, they've had legs blown <clears throat> off, arms blown off, arms and legs blown off, all kinds of things. And you are in this ward as a result of the, of this terrible car accident that you're in. So how did how did you fit in with these guys? Well, at first I didn't, um, uh, especially with Earl Ray. Earl Ray was a triple amputee, and he, he had um, his right leg below the knee, his left leg above the knee, and his left arm above the elbow. And he was two bunk uh, two beds down from me, and he would just stare hatred at me almost all day long. And he gave me a nickname that's in the book that I will not use over the air. Thank you. <laughs> and um, he um, he did try to choke me to death one time. I was in I was still um, bedridden, and we got into a, a verbal argument and bantering back and forth. Um, but I think I, two things. I think um, I. I didn't back down, you know, I could have just let it, let them just go ahead and just, you know, and ski. They would, they could just go ahead and, and tell me what they felt about me. And that would, but ski also was um, involved in, in telling them, you know, just leave it alone, just leave it alone. He's, you know, he's, in, he's not one of us, but he, he's been in the military and um, eventually it took about five or six months um, that Earl Ray and I got got to have a good understanding of each other and became friends. And the others were not quite as angry and bitter as Earl was. And so it was much easier for me to make relationships with them. I accepted them for who they were and what they were. And I looked beyond anything except that they were Marines and kids 20 years old. Right. I, I think yeah. that's the thing that we all need to remember, that these were just young, young men. Um, I mean, and I can imagine Earl, I mean, anybody in the audience can imagine probably, you know, if you lost three of your appendages, you know, what your life was going to be like. It's going to be, yeah. it's going to be difficult. And, um, you know, and of course he was angry, probably, you know, Obviously, suffering from mental, lots and lots of mental anguish that goes along with yeah. it. But he also had a had a uh, he had tried to separate himself from his girlfriend, who I guess was, you know, going to be his wife at one one point, and uh, you know he was pushed everybody away from him, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Um, <clears throat> you know, we 
we had visitors come to the hospital, not often, but um, the one, the ones that did, it was just, you know, mothers and dads and fiancés and wives. It was just so emotional. And when Jennifer came to see Earl, um, it was just almost a clash of, of emotions of, you know, the, the first time she'd seen him without his legs. Mm-hmm. And she passed out and oh. hit her head on the bed and they took her down, down to sick bay, emergency sick bay. And she went back to the hotel with her mom and he, her mom took her home. Mm-hmm. And at that point, Earl Ray thought that she had abandoned him and she did not. She kept sending him letters, but he, that was a, a major event for him and that he, he, um, he felt he had nothing to live for. Right. And he struggled with that the whole time. Well, it, you know, you, you, you can imagine. I mean, oh, I can. Uh, yeah, I can only only imagine that. You know, a year a, a year ago, this was in May, June, July of 69. And a year ago, he had been, you know, at a senior prom with with Jennifer. Mm-hmm. He'd been playing, you know, sports. And, that, and all that changed. Right. I've had, uh, you know, the, the privilege, I think, of talking with, with many, many veterans here on Veterans Radio. And, you know, some of them were amputees and so forth. And they talk about that transition, I guess you could say, to acceptance. And then they, you know, then they, they keep pushing and they, you know, they want to get back to being as, quote, normal as they can. And it takes a long time. Um, yeah. You know, and yeah. I think that the ward that you are on, this ward 2B, um at the Philadelphia Naval Hospital, and every one of them were amputees of one sort or another, ex- except for you. But you're, you were, yeah. you didn't have an yeah. amputation, but your legs were ruined for a long time. Yeah, I, I think too. What helped that um, once once we got out on the rehab wards, uh, things were it was a little easier to have you know a social structure, mm-hmm. and the six of us found our way into this, you know, the same ward, Q ward. And that's where we really gelled as a group and started having a little bit more normal activities. Right. I, yeah. I, I don't want our audience to think that this is all, you know, a big downer. This book is not a downer at all. It's very inspiring. Um, you know, we're, we're talking with Terry Gold here. The book is how can we mend this purple heart? And, um, you know, Terry got to spend 15 months on the ward with a, a number of other Marines. And I didn't even realize this, the statistics that I was, I was reading in your book where you were talking about how many people, of course, we know 58,000 people died in Vietnam and another 300,000 were wounded. And then we come down to about 1,100 that were multi-amputees. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, it's just... So, you know, they had to, you know, and the book describes many of the issues that they had, that they had to go through. I mean, you know, uh, the painkillers and, and so on and so forth. And, and some of the great, uh, people that you met that were on the staff of the hospital, you, you could, uh, talk about that if you'd like to as well. Um, you know, you, you hear a lot about, sometimes you hear some negative, a lot of negative about, um, the military hospital, the VA. Um, these doctors, nurses, and, a, and the corpsmen 
were just absolutely outstanding. Um, they, they are and were, they were some of the most professional, caring people that could ever take care of anybody. So we were lucky to have that we were on the ward that they were taking care of us. Yeah, and you did. You you developed relationships with 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 many of them, um, you know, and they they protected you. It sounds like. Yeah, Miss Barry, uh, who was the head nurse, who was lieutenant commander, was so dedicated to her work um, and to to the guys on the ward that she was almost like a mother to us. That's good. That's good. You need it. You know, you need a mom yeah, in situations yeah. like that. I think that the, you know, and, and all the other characters. So as you mentioned, uh, that there were some adventures that you can, uh, we can share with our audience about how, uh, you guys would escape. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, life on, in the hospitals, it, it, just so confined and, and so boring and so, um, uh, routine that you go to physical therapy twice a day. You go to, you go to chow hall. This is, you know, guys are in a wheelchair. They're not, um, you know, go to chow hall and where we need to go to the PX and to the uh, pharmacy. But, um, they also would have to go to PT and, you know, get, they, be, they get fitted for their artificial limbs and then learn how to use those limbs and how to walk and, you know, um, how to tie your shoes again with, you know, with a, with a hook on one hand. But, um, we had to find a way to, um, get out of the confinement of the hospital. And <clears throat> there's a fence along Broad Street in Philadelphia, just outside Cuboard on the side. And we decided it was too far to walk out to the front gate and then all the way back down. So we cut a hole in the fence. <laughs> And that became our escape hatch. And from there, we found some um, very interesting places to go. We, me and Big Al, um, that he was Big Al had both of his legs um, amputated all the way to the hips, and so he there was no way he could wear a prosthetic. Oh. And so I kind of became his transport. <laughs> and he would put arms around my neck. We'd go up down Broad Street, down up towards Philly downtown. And we found a place called the Rainbow Bar and Grill. And that became an off-site gathering place for us. Um, and we, we finally, you know, and we finally got everybody to go over there, all six of us. And, um, and there was a lady there who owned the place named Ava who took a real liking to Earl Wright. Okay. And, and then, um, Al and I, um, one time we decided to take off and Earl Ray did not want to go to, to, uh, he wouldn't go anywhere unless he went to, um, the rainbow. Mm-hmm. So big Al and I, he told us, all right, get out of here on your own. We got, we took off for the hole in the fence. We went down south, uh, went up broad street towards Philly. We sat down on a park bench. I was getting tired because he's a little bit heavy. <laughs> I can only imagine. And we had a cigarette and this, this lady behind us says, you guys going to sit here all day. And, her name was Rosie, and Rosie was how do I put? Um, Ran a house of ill repute. Yes, <laughs> and she invited me and Big Al in, and she had um, two employees. <laughs> 
Cheryl and Tammy. And Tammy took a, a liking to Big Al, and and that was we had some just escapades. Okay, we, we don't need to go into some details. Some adventures, yeah. Yes. We had some adventures there. So, so that's the Rosie so, of the song, then. Yeah, uh, you know the song. The, the songwriter, uh, yeah, Bill DeLuigi, who wrote the song. He he's listening to the stories, and as a songwriter took creative license, he combined the Rainbow Barn Grill with Rosie's place. Okay, and he 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 wrote the song Rosie's Barn Grill. And it kind of combines both of those um, spots of adventure for us—the <laughs> two adventures. As a, you know, and and this is kind of a little digression here that you know that you are involved with Operation Song, and that this song was put together to, as you mentioned, kind of tell the story of of the of the bar and the house. Um, that that you guys would would escape to again reminding our audience that you know everybody in that sport it's only twenty years old maybe um, yeah probably uh, would, we were we weren't even old enough to drink in, in yeah, that, Pennsylvania that's, legally that's right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that is <laughs> that is true I want to play this song um, the the uh, where might put my notes here yeah here we are yeah Rosie's Bar which is a combination of the two establishments. So mm-hmm. tell me about again a little bit about the um the the songwriter and uh, how we put this together. Um the rainbow um Ava was such a special lady. I mean she uh we've got Earl in there with and Earl had both of his uh, artificial legs on and um she was so special with Earl, they had such a special relationship, and she, Earl would not go there if he knew that Ava was not going to be there. And they, we would go, and Earl and Ava would take a seat in the far booth and talk and hold hands, and she was just so tender with him. And <clears throat> it was just a place for us to go and feel like it was okay to be outside somewhere, you know, be in public. She made it that that special. Okay, well let's let's uh let's take a listen to this song here. Okay. I jumped in a beat up Buick with Earl Ray and Bobby Mac. Don't know if I'll ever find that bar, but I know I wanna go back. We danced with South Philly ladies On another hot couch Tammy and Cheryl had a soft spot for soldiers We had a different name for that down south They smile and they don't ask questions Might not even send you a bill When they serve up love and affection Bar and grill. All right, there's Rosie's Bar and Grill. Uh, it sounds like an interesting okay. place to go. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, I'm not sure if it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, things have probably have changed quite a bit down there in in South Philly. Um, 
so tell us about some of the some of the of, of the adventures that you uh, guys on Ward Two B were able to go through. Um, well, you know, when I got out on uh, Q Ward and and I was going to physical therapy, of course, I didn't require as much intense therapy as these guy the, the guys did. So and and they gave me a a, a part time job in hospital. Um, in special services, and I was in charge of putting together the list of guys that we would go to clam bakes and VFWs and welcome home dinner parties. And um, we would have sometimes two or three of these on a weekend. And the first one was a clam bake on the hospital grounds. And it turned, you know, there was a lot of beer. There was a, a, a brewery, Schmidt's Brewery was the local brewery, sponsored it. Um, and, and it turned into a neat little um, intermilitary, intramilitary <laughs> scuffle fight, and guys were throwing chicken bones and corn cobs and <laughs> and and empty clamshells at each other, and over, turning over tables and wheelchairs, and all of a sudden it just stopped. Everybody starts laughing, shaking hands, and we put the tables back up and just continued on. <laughs> It was one of the coolest things I've seen. <laughs> it sounds um, like and, and as the um, coordinator for these events, um, one of one of one of the special events, we spent a weekend in Atlantic City, New Jersey, at the Miss America Beauty Pageant. And those <laughs> the two days, two and a half days, were just phenomenal. And um. We ended up um, at at a bar in downtown Atlantic City, and that bar at the time was called Reg Morgan's. And we met uh, a guy that came in, and I don't know if I need to use his name on the phone no, you <laughs> only on the radio. It was, anyway, it turned out that he was um, part of, um, I would say, organized. <laughs> activities. One of, okay, one of one of the families over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and he he said he he was so generous and um so impressed that with with us with the guys, you know, he he gave them everything they wanted for a full night, and well, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's fine. That's fine. So they had it. You know, they a big adventure. Yeah. Um, but if we could, if we could find some place to go, something different, but we would, we would just charge ahead with it. And the guys finally got, I mean, at a point, were comfortable with going out with, you know, um, their artificial limbs on. Mm-hmm. I, I can only imagine. I'm sure that you guys ran into some, you know, unnecessary comments by people or staring or, uh, yeah. and then, yeah. you know, and they probably had, you know, they probably had some accidents with their with their uh, prosthetics where they didn't work the way they thought they would. Yeah, um, and you know, and the difficulty of just navigating, you know, getting in and out of a car, or mm-hmm. you know, um, but don't, the prosthetics then were not; um, they were more like sticks of wood. They went, you know, there there were no knees that bent or ankles that cushioned or anything like that. It was just. Anything, you know, something to get them to help stand upright and move forward. Wow. Well, 
I can only imagine that the, 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 um, you know, where did they get that determination from to, to continue on? You know, um, I've got to tell you, it's, I think that was instilled in them as a Marine. Um, and that's what I learned from them. I, you know, when I, after about one week on that, on Ward 2B, I, I realized, man, there's nothing wrong with me. These guys, these guys are, are my heroes. I mean, they, they taught me resilience, determinations, you know, guts. And like, Ski was just, um, he was all of that. And that's why I still rely on him in my thoughts today. Um, yeah, I have a friend like, you know, I have nothing, a friend like nothing, that. I don't care moment. what happened. Yeah. I, it doesn't matter to me what happens. It's, 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 you can overcome it. You can overcome it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, since I've been out of the hospital and gone into work, I worked at a, a chemical factory and I was burned three with third degree burns, um, when I was 26. Um, and I recovered from that. I mean, it, it's like it never happened. And I just, I relied on that experience to help me through everything that I've gone through and beyond the hospital. Mm-hmm. I've had kidney cancer. Um, I've had my femur broken again with, you know, put a rod in that and in, in my left femur. Um, and it's just, they taught me, you just don't stop. Just don't stop. Well, I, that just reminded me of part of the story and then <laughs> kind of a delayed reaction there. As you were being discharged, uh-huh. uh, and you know, well, first of all, I guess you can share a little bit with the audiences. How did you get yourself in so much trouble with the powers that be? Um, <laughs> we were on War Two B, and we're all bedridden, and except and Earl Ray had come back from the rehab wards for some uh, other surgeries, and so you, you, we're having an inspection on July Fourth weekend, and the big brass is coming up from Norfolk. That was the admiral and his entourage. Mm-hmm. And so the ward had to be, you know, inspection ready. And the guys who could go around, they went around and, you know, straightened everything up. The corpsman and even Miss Barry straightened up desks and aligned bunks or the beds. And um, we all got clean pajamas on, got our hair trimmed up. And um, Miss Barry came in and the admiral came in and he went down three, about five beds to the right was Earl Ray. And Earl Ray was there with his um, his stumps wrapped up, and the admiral said to him, "Where's your salute, young man?" Oh gosh! And my mouth dropped. And he turned to Earl Ray again. He said, "I said, where's your salute?" And it just came out of me. And if I can say this on the radio, uh, be careful. I'll say, "I'll say, are you kidding me?" But right. it was a different word. Right. When I you, said, "Are you kidding me?" And he came down to my bunk and read my name out out loud off my uh, clipboard. And he said, what did you say, young man? And I said, in all due respect, sir, you should be saluting them. And that's when I got in trouble. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Here I was, an E3, um, and he's an admiral. And um, when he walked off the ward with with his group that was with him, the entire ward just erupted in ovation for me. And that, that's when they begin to accept me. 
Well, that certainly is understandable. I can, I can remember even, and this is just a quick aside, that they started doing inspections in Vietnam of, of, you know, I was a helicopter pilot, so I mean, we weren't out in the middle of nowhere, but the, when we were back at our home base, they started doing inspections of the, of the enlisted guys and they were living in tents. You know, come on. Good grief. You know, I mean, they didn't bother us, you know, as officers, but it was, and we all kind of went, what are you thinking here? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, and that, 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 that little episode, those, uh, seemed to follow you for the remainder yeah, well, of your they, military career. Yeah, they put it in my files. And when it came time for me to have my medical review, uh, they found me fit for full duty. And I had a steel rod in my femur and uh, Dr. Donnelly, who had done the surgery on my leg, um, was dumbfounded. And he told the board, he said, this, this guy is walking like a pregnant duck. And you're putting him on full duty. Well, they were watching out for themselves because, you know, right. I assume in the chain of command, it was going to, the admiral would find out. Right. So they sent me out to San Diego on the USS Ranger. Uh, yeah, but your, your comrades in arms there at the uh, Philadelphia Naval Hospital uh, came up with a plan to prevent you from doing that, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And I didn't know about it until they were ready to implement that plan we've been to uh the rainbow barn grill for quite a while um we got up to go and we're outside and moose says hold it right here you're not going to vietnam and you're not even going you're you're not getting on a ship and i said what do you mean i'm not going to canada and he said we're going to break both your legs (laughs) and i said what you know and and we've been drinking yeah, well, and, okay. So it seemed like a reasonable idea. <laughs> yeah, it did at the time. And he said, yeah, we've been thinking this over and, and we're going to break your legs. And there was a, a concrete block, uh, <laughs> next to the, uh, grounds right there by the, by the bar. And so they, I, I said, okay, let's go for it. They sat me down on the curb with my legs out over the curb and he was going to, they were going to throw that concrete block down on my shins. <laughs> And they got, he and Ski, uh, got it raised up, or, you know, he and, and, uh, Bobby Mack got it raised up over their heads. And Bobby Mack had a rubber hand. He had oh. lost his hand. He had hit everything but his thumb. So he had a rubber hand. Well, the block slipped off of his hand and it came down and hit Ski on the, on the foot. <laughs> <laughs> luckily, luckily it was on his wooden foot. Jeez. <laughs> oh, um, Rosie, uh, Rosie, uh, Ed would come out of the bar and said, what are you guys doing? And what the worst thing? And it broke it up. That <laughs> good thing. <laughs> yeah. It was a good thing. <laughs> they were going to tell, they were going to tell the hospital uh, staff that, you know, a car came by and hit me and took off. It was a hit and run. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking, we're talking, with Terry, we're talking with Terry Gold here as the author of how can you mend this purple heart? It's, Obviously, it's not all last, but it is a book that will make you laugh. It will make you cry. It'll certainly make you proud of the young men that were serving during uh, in the Marines and Navy at this time. This this sounds like it has to be a movie. Has anybody ever approached you? You know, I've had so many people that have read this say that. Um, the book is actually in the hands of a screenwriter in Los Angeles 
who is the son of a Vietnam veteran who we connected on Facebook and he got a copy of the book and said, I'm going to try and, and, and get this out there. Um, so that was about a year ago and I'm learning how, what a slow process that can be. <laughs> yeah, it is a slow process, but it just seems like it'd be just the, I, I, as I mentioned that, I was thinking, I can't remember the name of the movie now. It was a terrible movie about a, uh, not a Navy, I don't even know, military hospital that was in Brooklyn or something. And it was just a very depressing film. I don't think this would be a depressing film at all. Um, I don't either because there's just so much fun in it. Um, you know, Bobby Mack is such a great character. He was so funny. Everything to him was just easy go lucky. I mean, he, and he, he made, he made it, he made life on Ward 2B. Um, a lot less tense. Right. I mean, you always needed somebody like that. And, yeah. they, and you know, yeah. they always seem to show up at just the right time. And, and yeah. you, you mentioned that um, you had not heard from, you know, any of these people really since that time period in your life. Yeah. Um, the only one that I really had connected with was Ski, his family, actually. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mentioned before his combat buddy. And I've done extensive searches, and I just can't locate any of them. I can't find any anybody. Well, hopefully we can find them for you. Maybe somebody will listen and they'll say, oh, Man, I, knew, that I, know that, I know that guy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that, that would be that, great. That has happened. It has happened on this program. Yeah. I, I, we did a program, and a guy called up, and he said he had knew, known my dad during World War II. Oh, my golly. And I went, What? <laughs> Because unfortunately, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure if how how I could handle it. I, it'd be so emotional. I mean, it would be, but it would be awesome for you. I think it would be awesome, wouldn't it? I think it would be great. Um, yeah. So Terry, where where can we? And I know you've written other books as well, but uh, where could we uh, get a copy of this? Right now, it's only available on Amazon. Um, the, the Kindle book. If you order a paperback, it takes a couple of weeks to get the paperback because it's print mm-hmm. on demand. Okay. Um, now, if you if you want, I can give my email, and you can email me, and um, I can send a signed copy and send me a check for twelve bucks, and that includes shipping. Awesome! So, give out the email. It is purplescribe68 at gmail dot com. All right, we got that, everybody. Purplescribe68 at gmail dot com. All right. So, Terry, thank you so very much for being on the program today. And, 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 and I know that sometimes it has to be difficult for you to even talk about some of these stories. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Dale. And, and you're right. Um, I'm, I'm really amazed, surprised that I made it all the way through without being too emotional. Well, yeah, I, I heard a couple of, <laughs> yes, as, as we were talking about okay. ski, especially. Um, yeah. So I'm going to let you go, but uh, again, thank you very much. But for those that are, that are listening to the program right now, don't go away because at the end of the program, we're going to go out on the the song "How Can You Mend This Purple Heart," and uh, so I encourage you to stick around for our you know closing part of the program. So again, Terry Gold, the book is "How Can You Mend This Purple Heart." Thank you very much for being on the program. Thank you, Dale. I told you you'd like that interview. 
Wow. Uh, what a powerful book. I really encourage you to go out there and get that. All right. As promised, we're going to go out on the song, How Can You Mend This Purple Heart? So until next week, this is Dale Thronberry for Veterans Radio. You are dismissed. Tried to choke me once with the one hand that he had left That young marine, he was angry At hippies, his wheelchair, and his hospital bed Earl Ray had a fiancé time she came to see him she passed out cold her mama took her home and her hope was gone